Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. So I'm thankful if you're um, with us this morning, and I hope that God uses uh, this time that we spend together to encourage you and, and to bless you. Uh, we are into the last few weeks of a, a three-year journey through the Bible. Uh, we're attempting to finish strong. That's the name of this current uh, small series of messages. As we consider the material that's associated with the, the uh, latter days of the early church. And today, as Aidan mentioned, we're in the book of Philemon. So you can uh, turn to that in your Bibles if you would. And last week we finished the book of Acts. We looked at the last two chapters of the book of Acts. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've uh, seen the immense importance of the mission that Christ gave us to take the critical message of the word to the world, uh, the gospel of grace, Jesus, our Messiah, our King, our Savior, Savior of the world, Lord of our lives. And the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. It says there that he spent two years in Rome under house arrest, which means that he couldn't come and go, uh, but people could come to him. And they did. People came to him there, and he shared Christ with them. And during those days, one of the things that we know that Paul did was uh, a series of letters that he wrote uh, during that time that we call the prison letters. Uh, they include the book of Ephesians, and the book of uh, Philippians, and Colossians. There's four of them. And the fourth one is Philemon, where we are today. And, uh, but Philemon is, um, is different. Uh, and, it's, and it's different from the rest of the letters in the New Testament as well, because it's, it's uh, one of only two letters in the New Testament written to an individual as opposed to a group or to a church. Uh, the only one like it is 3 John, which was written by John the Apostle to Gaius. Um, so when we read in the book of Philemon, um, where Paul says you, he's talking specifically to Philemon, unlike uh, his other letters were when he says you, it's, it's plural in the Greek, meaning you guys. And uh, there's uh, some significance to that. But I want to I put together a little bit of backstory for us here today from the book of Acts and from the letter to the Colossians, as well as to the letter of Philemon itself. Um, here's some things that we know. So uh, we're gonna, I'm going to put Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10 on the screen for us uh, at this time. And uh, when we were going through the book of Acts, uh, we made reference to, to this uh, then. It says in Acts chapter 19, and this is uh, Paul's second missionary journey, where he comes to Ephesus. And verses nine, 8, 9, and 10 says, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, this continued for two years, 
And then, and then Luke says this, he says, So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. In other words, while Paul was uh, serving in Ephesus, word was spreading out. People, people were hearing, people were coming to know the Lord, people were, were going and they were taking the message of, and, and impacting the lives of other people to the extent that Luke could write these words, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's a pretty, pretty um, dramatic statement. It's, it's a tremendous uh, thing for him to be able to, to write that. But what did that look like? What do you think that looked like? Well, uh, there's a lot that we don't know, but there are some things we do know, and I want to highlight some of those. So there's one of this the men who became an associate of Paul during those days, and he was a, he was a Gentile. His name was Epaphras. And uh, we don't know exactly when or how he came to Christ, but Epaphras was from the city of Colossae. Uh, and Colossae was a city of the Lycos Valley region of which Ephesus was a major center. Uh, we also know that Eph um, Epaphras was instrumental in planting the church at Colossae. So let's just, uh, Dave, if you bring the map, I'd be lucky. Look at that. He's fast. There, there where's Ephesus? It's somewhere here. Uh, let's see. Uh, help me out. It should be right. I should have checked the map first, but it's right in this area here. Why am I not able to see it? Can you see it? Right there. There it is. Ephesus. You should have followed the line. All right? But there's Col Colossae over there. Okay? So there's Ephesus. I don't know if you can see that on, uh, if you're watching online or not. And there's Colossae. And there's Rome. Just for reference. That's where Paul is. Okay? But this is where he was during his second missionary journey. This is uh, when Paul refers to Asia. When Luke refers to Asia, he's talking about this area here. See, there's Asia right there. All right? So that, that's enough map for today. I know some of you are thrilled about maps, and some of you really don't want to see another map as long as you live. Because when you get to heaven, there won't be any maps because you won't need a map in heaven because you'll know even as you are now known. Maybe that's what Scripture says. So Epaphras comes to know Christ. He becomes an associate of the Apostle Paul. He plants a church in Colossae. Later, he will travel to Rome to visit Paul there to bring him all the news about what's happening and going on in the churches there. Okay? Now, there was another man who lived in Colossae. And he came to know Christ through Paul's ministry and, and gospel ministry during the time Paul was in Ephesus uh, as well. And this man, he was a well-to-do man, and his name was Philemon. And he not only became a Christian, but he also became a significant leader in that region and in the church at Colossae. And Paul got to know Philemon and his family or his household, if you will. His, his, uh, the Greek word is oikos. Um, he got to know them well during that time, and he considered Philemon to be a great brother and a great mission partner for the gospel. 
Now, as it was typical for prosperous uh, men in those days, Philemon was a patriarch of a household that included bond servants or slaves, if you will. Not slaves like we tend to think of slaves. They were more like indentured servants. Um, there were laws that protected them and gave them, they had some rights, uh, unlike the slaves that we tend to, uh, to identify uh, in the, what we would call new world slavery. Uh, and that's why um, you, if you read through the Gospels and you see the word servant, it's referring to this people in this position, this position uh, that we call uh, slaves or bond servants. Uh, if you'd like to know more about the difference between new world slavery and old world uh, slavery or servitude, you can message me, and I would gladly send you links to a couple of, of excellent articles by J. Warner Wallace of uh, Cold coldcasechristianity.com. He's got a couple of real helpful articles that I would gladly send to you on that. But one of Philemon's slaves, or his, one of his servants, if you will, was a young man named Onesimus. Now, we don't have the details of the relationship between uh, Onesimus and Philemon, but we know it was a strained relationship. And at some point, Onesimus uh, defrauded Philemon somehow. Perhaps it involved money. It probably did involve money. And maybe it was money that Onesimus had been entrusted uh, to or with or something like that. But whatever it was, Onesimus had defrauded Philemon and now he was on the run. And where do you suppose Onesimus would run to? Where do young people run when they feel like they need to get away and get out of town and get as far away and get lost. Where do they run to? Toronto. That's correct. Yeah. Big cities. Because there's no, there's no better place to get lost than in a big city. And in Onesimus' day, the biggest city was the city of Rome. And it was a long ways away, and for that reason, some people don't think even that this even happened in Rome, but I'm pretty convinced it did. Um, we don't know if months went by or years went by. We, we just don't know. But somehow, Onesimus ends up in Rome. Who else do you know that's in Rome? Paul. Paul's in Rome. Last week, we saw how God provided some amazing circumstances, some really, truly amazing circumstances that took Paul to Rome. And, you know, and, you know, and, and now we can ask ourselves the question, what are the odds now that Onesimus ends up not only in Rome, but ends up connecting with Paul there? There would have been about a million people living in Rome at this time. That's a lot of people. Even by today's standards, that's, that's a lot of people. And, uh, but this is, what, this is how God's providence works, right? And we can only wonder at the amazing providence of God in all of this. Um, perhaps Onesimus came to realize what a mess he had gotten himself into. 
Maybe he sought Paul out. Maybe he heard somehow that Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And maybe he was one of those people that came to see Paul. We, we don't know the details, but we know that somehow Onesimus not only, listen, not only connected with Paul in Rome, but the young, young runaway ends up giving his life to Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to hearing that story someday. I really am. And not only does Onesimus become a Christian, but he also becomes a great help to Paul. Because remember, Paul's uh, in, in, under arrest and he can't, he can't go anywhere, which means he really has to depend on other people. You know, he can't just fend for himself. And so uh, Philemon becomes uh, a, just a, a, great, a great help to him there. And, and uh, that's significant because there's something else that we know about Philemon, or about, sorry, about um, uh, Onesimus. He was a servant but he wasn't a very good one. <laughs> you know, maybe he was like a lot of young people. Maybe he was distracted. Maybe he didn't feel done right by. Maybe he felt his, uh, his situation was completely unfair and, and he just, he just I, I don't know. But he wasn't a very good, uh, he wasn't a very good servant. But, but that all changed in his life. Uh, because the... Old Onesimus, who was not very helpful, became extremely helpful and valuable to Paul. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. God transformed Onesimus from what he was into something that Paul could write about uh, and say he's very valuable to me. We're going to see that as we get into the, this letter today. Now, now, all of this is very good, right? But it does leave Paul with a situation. There's a serious unresolved conflict here between two Christ followers, both of whom Paul is very personally connected to. And so, therefore, there's a need for a resolution. There, things need to be made right. There needs to be reconciliation take place. Now, Paul could have just said, well, whatever, because that's what we tend to do. But that's not what Paul does, because that's not what the gospel does. What Paul does is he sends Onesimus back to face Philemon. Now think about that. But he sends him with a letter. A letter that he writes with his own hand. What's he going to say? Well, we have that letter. And we're going to look at it today. At the same time, one of Paul's other fellow workers who was a, uh, with, there with him in Rome was a man named Tychicus. And Tychicus, who was also from somewhere in the Lycos Valley region, of Ephesus, Colossae region, Paul 
conscripts Tychicus to accompany Onesimus back home along with this letter to Philemon and as well carrying the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians to deliver those to the respective city churches as well. I don't know how you familiar you are with the letter we call Philemon, but this letter is so instructive for us. It's one of my uh, favorite books of the Bible. It's a small book, but so significant. Um, it's where the the gospel, the the the, the uh, meets life. It's where the the rubber of the gospel meets the road of life. So we're going to look at Philemon today. If you uh, did you find it yet? I mean, I gave you 15 minutes. Uh, you should be able to find it in 15 minutes. It's not. It's kind of. It might be kind of buried in the New Testament there, but. Um, it's after, I think it's right after the book of Titus, isn't it? Yep. And right before the book of Hebrews? Yeah. Okay. So, Paul starts his letter uh, with a uh, fairly standard type of uh, greeting. We'll look at verses 1 through 3, but before we do that, will you just pray with me? Lord, please bless this portion of your word to our hearts and lives this day for your glory. We pray that we would be able to not only understand uh, what the message of it is, but also to appreciate it and how it applies to our lives. We ask this um, according to your, your grace, your great grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So standard type of greeting, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, who would have been there with Paul, to Philemon our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. These would be presumably other family members uh, there. And the church in your house, and then verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the greeting is plural, and then from that point on, Paul uses the singular Greek pronoun, you, you Philemon. And he starts with appreciation, which is not a surprise because Paul starts all of his letters by expressing appreciation. And it's not just to butter people up. This is sincere, and it's made sincere, and it's made meaningful by uh, the reference to specific genuine contributions that Philemon has made enriching the lives of other people. Verses 4, 5, 6, 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's a pretty big commendation. And so we know Philemon, he's the real deal, right? He just doesn't name the name. He, he, uh, he walks the walk, and he, uh, he's for real. Uh, a particular interest to us is that phrase in verse 6, the sharing of your faith, because in Greek that is one word. It's the word koinonia, 
which is translated throughout the New Testament by a host of words. Um, it's the word that occurs in Acts chapter 2 when it says that they, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, koinonia, and the breaking of bread and prayers. It's the word that Paul used when he addressed the Philippian church in that letter that uh, Tychicus had in his hand for them uh, when he says, I thank my God in my all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine um, because of your partnership, koinonia, in the gospel from the first day until now. So the word koinonia is a very rich Greek word and it, it's translated into English using different words, words like fellowship, sharing, community, participation, partnership, contribution, generosity, communion, very rich word. And this is sometimes the case, a Greek word that's really impossible to translate using only one word in English. But the root meaning is to have in common. It's that common bond. It wasn't a re religious word. Uh, the Greeks used it to refer to business partnerships or family ties. And certainly, when you uh, think about how Paul is addressing Philemon here and talking about what they share together and what they have in common, the bond that they have in Christ, he calls uh, Philemon in verse 7 his brother. And we've been taking note through the book of Acts of the significance of that term, how it's used there, uh, brothers. Um, so it's a highly relational concept it's, uh, it's family, and when it's used in reference to the bond that we have in Christ, well, that just elevates the whole concept of what it means to be in fellowship, to be in communion, to be joined with, to share in, to be part of. So, verses 8 through 10, accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also in Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. The phrase old man can be translated ambassador, um, as some tra translations have it, but either way, uh, Paul would have been uh, around my age. Uh, he, he would have been around 62 years old. And uh, uh, he wants um, Philemon to know that he's writing him as a, a, a prisoner. And he keeps using that word. In fact, uh, I count the five times in this letter that Paul um, refers to his imprisonment. And it's just a short letter, right? So, um, and, and, and as I said earlier, in prison, you can't really fend for yourself. You can't simply meet your own needs. So you have to depend on others to meet their needs. And Onesimus has become someone of great value to Paul. And in his situation, especially. And even more than that, even more than that, Paul says to Philemon, your former slave has become my son. Verse 11, he says, formerly he was useless to you, 
but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And something I didn't mention earlier, the name Onesimus means useful. So Paul is playing off of that word meaning, that name meaning, and he's basically saying to him that the Onesimus of which I speak is not the old Onesimus that you knew. He's the new Onesimus, and he is of great value to me, and he is my, he's become even more than that, my son. And therefore, in verse 12, he says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. Oh, did I tell you I was writing from prison? <laughs> uh, for the gospel. But I, that's important too, right? Why was he in prison? For the gospel. This is all important. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So Paul, Paul's saying here, I could have kept him with me. Uh, he could have kept serving me on your behalf because you owe me. But I didn't want this to be about that. I want this to be about love, not debt or obligation. You know that phrase he says here, that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. That sounds an awful lot like what Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when he's talking to them about their giving. You know, why do we give? How do we give? Whether that's of our time or money or, or anything we say or do. Why do we do it? Do we do it by compulsion or from compulsion? Do we do it because we have to? Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. And then he goes on to say to them, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says, finally, man, I don't want this to be about debt and obligation, even though you do owe me. Later on, he'll say, you owe me your life. But I don't want this to be about that. So I'm appealing to you. You know, the truth is we owe everything to Jesus. And we owe a lot of other people too. There is no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. We are indebted, every one of us, to more people then we care to acknowledge a lot of the time. Look at back at verse 8. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He's saying, I don't want this to be about that. I don't want this to be about debt or obligation or law. I want this to be about love and about grace and about appreciation. He says, I could demand it because you, you owe me, but I don't want it to be about that. It'd be like a, um, a, a husband saying to his wife, you have to love me. You have to. God tells you you have to. The law says you have to. Do you want your relationships to be like that? It, it, or a father saying to a son, you have to love me. Do you really want this to be about law? Do you want your relationships to be based on have to? 
Well, that's not how the gospel works. It isn't about law or death. It's about love and grace. You know, it was law and death that made Onesimus a slave. It was love and grace that made him a son. And it's law and death that makes us slaves. And it's love and grace that makes us his sons. Let me ask you this. Why do you follow Christ? Because you have to? Of course not. It's the love and grace of Christ that compels us. Verse 15 and 16. For this perhaps is perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. <laughs> so your former slave has become my son, which, by the way, makes him your brother. You know, people read the book of Philemon, uh, the letter of Philemon, and, and of course the subject of slavery figures prominently in the letter, and, and that's such a big subject. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, there is a vast difference between old world slavery and new world slavery. But nonetheless, I appreciated what uh, J. Warner Wallace says about this statement here, he says, the Bible does reflect God's desire to seek the end of slavery, but it does so one heart at a time. The Roman Empire had 60 million slaves. Now, I told you earlier that there was a million people living in Rome, right? But this is the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had 60 million slaves living amongst its citizenry. To call an end of slavery in this culture and context would have resulted in mass murder and civil war. In this context, the message of the gospel for each individual would have been completely lost. The church would have been a group of rebels seeking political change rather than the bride of Christ introducing the gospel of Christ to a lost world. Instead of calling for a political revolution, Paul calls for an internal revolution of the spirit. So just to be clear, Philemon would have had every right to have Onesimus punished. In fact, uh, he could have had him imprisoned. There were instances where slaves were crucified for defrauding their masters. Verse 17 so if you consider me your partner, now we're getting right into the very heart of this letter now. For if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul is putting himself in the middle here. Now a lot of times we get in situations and we're like, I don't want to be in the middle. Don't put me in the middle of this. Paul puts himself right in the middle of this. And you know what? That's what Jesus does. You remember in Matthew 18 when Jesus talks about what you're supposed to do if somebody offends you? 
right? You remember that? I hope you do because it's a very significant passage, one of the most underapplied passages in all of, of the Bible. And, and Jesus said, you need to go to that person. And, and later on in that passage, he says, and there I am in the midst of them. That's the context. There I am in the midst of them. Jesus puts himself between the two brothers who are at odds, where one has sinned against the other. And then uh, Paul says, receive him as you would receive me. And that is exactly how Jesus intercedes for us before the Father. Your relationship with the Father, if you have one, is through Jesus Christ, or you do not have one. Jesus puts himself in our place. Our acceptance is based on the merit of Jesus on our behalf. And that's how Jesus intercedes for us. And, and, and that's how he calls on us to receive one another in his name. If you know somebody who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if there's something about that person that really bugs you, take it up with Jesus. That's what he says. Because he intercedes for that person, not just to the Father, but he intercedes to us, with us. That's why we don't have the option of not recognizing another brother in Christ, whether we like them or not. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Again, that's what Jesus says. Whatever they have done wrong, put it on my account. I will pay it to the full. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he didn't just die for your sins. He died for my sins too, including the sins that I may have committed against you. That's gospel. That's the gospel, and that's the power of the gospel. It's exactly what Jesus said by going to the cross. Put it on my account. I will pay it all. Listen to these words uh, from, that Paul writes to the Corinthians. Listen carefully to these words Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he's made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is living out the gospel of Jesus Christ here in his relationship with Philemon and with Onesimus. You know, uh, I mentioned earlier about that time when Jesus talked in Matthew 18 about 
to the, you know, what do you do if your brother offends you and how Jesus put himself in between them. The text goes on there to the, Peter. And Peter says, Lord, how many times if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? And Jesus said, he says seven times, thinking he's being very, very generous. And Jesus said, how about 70 times seven? In other words, Peter wants to know what the limit is. And Jesus is saying, in effect, there is no limit. Then Jesus tells a parable. Do you remember that parable? It's, the par- it's called the parable of the unmerciful servant <laughs> or slave, if you will. And, and you know how the story goes in the parable. It's about a, a, a rich man who has a servant, and that servant owes him more than he could ever repay in a million lifetimes. And the master forgives him his debt. And the servant turns around and goes out, finds somebody who owes him a few bucks, grabs him by the throat, and says, if you don't pay me everything, every cent you owe me, I'm going to th- have you thrown in jail. And listen as I read to you how that story ends. It says, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put, had him put in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and they reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In what we call the Lord's Prayer, do you remember that line? Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a living out of the gospel. It's treating other people the way Jesus treats us. Paul is appealing to Philemon to act on the basis of grace, not law. He's not only calling on Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he's calling on him to welcome him and receive him as a brother because that is effectively what the gospel does. And we've seen that over and over again throughout the book of Acts where not only were enemies become friends, but where enemies become brothers in Christ. And it's not just ethnic barriers that are smashed by the gospel. It's socioeconomic barriers too. And it's not just that. It's, it's, it's the sin barrier that is smashed. And this is radical. It's, it's, it's radical. It was radical then. It's, it's still radical today. You will find nothing on this planet like the teachings of Jesus. Nothing even comes close. Not only his teachings, but how he treated us when he went to that cross. 
So if you consider me a partner, he says to Philemon, that's that word koinonia again. If you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes anything, charge that to my account. Then Paul ends his letter to Philemon with greetings to his, uh, from his companions, and he ends on a note of grace, the grace uh, of the Lord be with you in verse 25, which is what this is all about. Let's just read the last few verses, and I want to make a, a comment uh, and close. Uh, verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me your own life. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. I'll just mention that the word benefit there is a play off of the, the, the name Onesimus, but you can find that out in your own study. He says, refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Prepare room for me. I think that's uh, Paul's way of saying that um, he's going to follow up. It's uh, human accountability. Only God can change a person's heart, but God uses us too to do his work, right? And accountability is one of those ways that God uses us in each other's lives. So how do you go about applying this? You know, here's what we tend to think when we, we read scripture a lot of times. We tend to think that, you know, these people, these people, their lives are so far removed from our lives. I mean, like this is, this is ancient Rome. <laughs> you know, we're talking slaves and masters and no internet. What do these people possibly have in common with me? What, how could their lives be like my, my life? How could I be like them? How could they be like me? You know, why do we think that way? Why do we tend to think that way? It's because we've been brainwashed. We've been brainwashed by an ideology that, that, that uh, caters to our pride. You know, it's the message that tells us that that we're so sophisticated and we're so civilized and people that lived thousands of years ago, well, they were just so primitive and so ignorant. And all of that line of thinking is based on our ignorance of real history. Servants in Paul's day were part of the social fabric of families. Most of them were like family members. They were like indentured servants. And I don't say that to say that, you know, that there were no problems with the system. There were all kinds of problems with the system, just like there are today. And uh, those of you who uh, work for a living, you might not call yourself a slave or, or a servant, but there are a lot of similarities and I tell you what, there are a lot of family similarities too. Because Philemon's relationship with Onesimus wasn't 
probably not that unlike the relationship a lot of fathers have with their sons. And I think that there are a lot of young people today who are running away. And there are a lot of young people today struggling to come to terms with some of the same issues that people have been dealing with for as long as there have been people. And you shouldn't miss the providence of God in all this either. We should not miss the providence of God in all of this. Think of all the things that needed to happen for young Onesimus to end up at the feet of Saul of Tarsus in a Roman <laughs> city. All that had to take place, all those crazy circumstances and situations that, that make up the providence of God. And Paul's not unaware of it either, neither is Philemon. As he writes to him in verse 15, he says, perhaps this is why this all happened. You hear those words? Perhaps this is why this, is all, this all happened. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Who knows? Who can understand the amazing providence of God? But it was the amazing providence of God that took this young runaway to a place that he didn't even know he was going to and ended up having his life transformed. I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know where you find yourself today. But maybe the fact that you're hearing this message this morning means you are right where God wants you to be because he wants you to know about his love and grace because it can change you and transform you and transform your life forever. I'd like for you to pray with me if you would. Lord, thank you for this portion of your word. It's such an incredible testimony to the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. How you put things in place, Lord, to take us where you take us and then reveal the gospel to us, show us uh, how much you took on that cross when you took our place and paid the price in full for all of our sin so that we can know your love and grace and have your righteousness and have your right standing and become sons of God, brothers in Christ, equal and wealthy and prosperous and showered with all of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray for those today who may be at a place where they need to get right with you and to receive that amazing grace. And I pray that right now that whether it's a younger person or an older person, and it doesn't matter, Lord, 
But if there is someone today who needs to come home to you, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal your amazing love and grace for them and that they would reach out even right now and welcome you into their lives as Savior and Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for all you do in our lives and what you've done even this day. And we look forward to serving you in the future as your children. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.